Lexicon Valley is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus, a new video service with more than 5,000 lectures. As a member, you can watch as many of the lectures as you want, anytime, on any device. And for a limited time, Lexicon Valley listeners can watch the popular course, The Fundamentals of Photography, for free by visiting thegreatcoursesplus.com slash lexicon. And by Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers right to your door everything you need to create a home-cooked meal. Farm fresh ingredients are perfectly portioned and come with an easy-to-follow recipe card so you can create a delicious dinner in 40 minutes or less. Visit blueapron.com lexicon to get your first two meals free. The following podcast contains explicit language. From Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield with Mike Volo, and today, episode number 83, a new installment of Linguophile, wherein we discuss a mystery word or phrase with lexicographer Ben Zimmer. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Bobby. How you doing, buddy? Splendid, thank you. And your own self? I'm great. I'm great. And Ben, how are you? And what is our clue? I would say that I am peachy keen. Is that a clue? (laughs) It is not a clue. Today, we have not just a word, but a phrase. Excellent. This is actually something that came up on our last linguophile episode about the word wazak. And I'm being very careful now to pronounce that word as wazak and not wazak. Right. Lest we hear from our British listeners again. Yes. Yeah, I'm happy that you're doing this because they just don't like the way we say the ass sound. Well, I have to apologize personally. You guys were just following my lead. I was the one who said Wazik. But as many listeners pointed out, the clips we played of British people saying the word were all Wazik, and yet we somehow couldn't hear that. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, linguists actually talk about something called the foreign A, Basically, the way that Americans versus British English speakers pronounce words that they're not familiar with from other languages generally that have an A sound in them. So, for instance, you know, Americans say pasta, Brits say pasta. Yeah. Taco versus taco. (laughs) Nicaragua versus Nicaragua. So, Americans use this vowel, the ah vowel, like as in want or wash for that foreign A generally where... Brits would more likely use that ah sound as in wag or whack. And I think that since it was just an unfamiliar word for me and for you guys, that we gravitated towards that American foreign a ah sound rather than paying close attention to how it was being pronounced. So (laughs) that could be one explanation. Well, we're all a bunch of wazics, apparently. Twats. (laughs) All right. So back to our phrase. Yes. Now, if you remember in the Wazik episode, I relayed a rather ridiculous story about the word from the comedian Mike Harding. Mm-hmm. It involved shoveling shit? Yes, it did. Yeah. The habit of medieval kings to take a crap on a shovel. But what did I say about that story? What did you say about that story? Yes. After telling it, what did I advise? Oh, to take it with a grain of salt. Yes. Actually, I said take it with an oh, enormous yes. grain of salt. <laughs> I don't remember whether this made it into the final cut, but this created quite a moment of conflict between Ben and me. It did. I actually edited that entire conflict out. Ben said an enormous grain of salt, and you took issue with his use of the word enormous, I guess, 
in that phrase. I did, because it's antithetical to the expression of take it with a grain of salt, because a grain of salt is tiny, and its tininess is at the heart of the metaphor. If you try to magnify the impact, you don't do so by making the grain of salt larger. Au contraire, you try to make it more minuscule still. So, Ben, in my opinion, (laughs) you would have been correct if you had said, take it with a virtually microscopic grain of salt. I just think you went in the wrong direction. However, my understanding of that phrase is that you have to take things that are otherwise unpalatable with a grain of salt to make them more palatable because Mm -hmm. that's what salt does to food, right? The more salt, the larger the grain of salt, the more palatable you're making it. Oh, you mean it's like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down? Yes, exactly. I think that Ben was precisely correct when he said an enormous grain of salt. (laughs) I shall withdraw backwards, humbly bowing and scraping from the room. If you're right about the provenance of that expression. If I'm right, that's a big if. I don't know. Yes, I guess if I were right, it would be taken as a grain of salt. As a grain of salt. So I don't know. You may have something there. Well, let's pursue that a little, Bob. When you say take something as a grain of salt, what are you sort of envisioning? I mean, Mike obviously has this idea that you you add a bit of salt to make something more palatable. What was your mental image of that grain of salt and what it was doing? Well, take it with a grain of salt means to give it very little consideration Uh because its sources are dubious, let's say. And by the way, take whatever advice that she gives you with a big grain of salt. Yeah, and take anything that he gives you with a shot of penicillin. I just assume you took that judge and jury stuff with a grain of salt. Well, you assumed wrong. No salt. Final comment. You take this with a grain of salt or a shovel full of earth as shadow or substance. We leave it up to you. I've always assumed that the the grain of salt, because it is tiny and easily lost in a handful of salt grains, that that was the point of the simile. But we say take it with a grain of salt rather than take it as a grain of salt. So with would imply the salt is accompanying something else. You're putting the salt into something, right? Well, this is what Mike is uh, is saying, and I, you know, I have no response except to be ready to be very, very embarrassed, because I was quite militant on this point. I don't know. Do you? (laughs) Well, I've done a little research, and it's fascinating that these sorts of idioms, we use them all the time without thinking too much about them. To be honest, you know, I use that grain of salt idiom, and I'm not thinking, well, how did that apply? How did that, what was the metaphorical extension that takes us from a real grain of salt to a figurative one? And if I did think about it, I probably wouldn't say take it with an enormous grain of salt because, you know, you could imagine a little grain of salt and it's somehow becoming enormous like you're blowing it up. I mean, if you were, <laughs> if you wanted to keep the metaphor making a little bit of sense, I might have said take it with several grains of salt. I could have amplified it by talking about more grains of salt rather than one ginormous grain of salt, which is uh, an odd thought. But clearly, I'm not thinking about exactly, you know, a grain of salt. I've already made that mean something else in my head. It's like taking something with a grain of salt would be to take it with the requisite amount of... uh, Skepticism. Skepticism, exactly. So if it's a unit of skepticism, I'm magnifying that unit of skepticism by calling it an enormous grain of salt. And if I'm right about the provenance of that expression, then really you run into a problem if you make the grain of salt too big because it does quite the opposite of what you're intending. It'll make whatever it is that you're consuming 
less palatable again if something mm-hmm. is oversalted. If you guys are right, they should change the expression to take it with a, a dab of Worcestershire, or as the <laughs> Brits pronounce it, Worcestershire. Wait, who's this they? <laughs> who's, who's the council that's going to decide this? The Council of Idiom. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> is that part of the big government expansion under Obama? Oh, when Bernie Sanders becomes president, first he's going to soak the rich. Then, of course, he's going to join Comintern. And then he's going to form the Council of Idiom and <laughs> to expand government. And uh, we're going to pay for it with our tax dollars. All right, let's pause for just a moment. Lexicon Valley is brought to you this week by the Great Courses Plus Video Learning Service. It's a virtual library of thousands of lectures on topics from language to history to science. Neil deGrasse Tyson, in fact, teaches a course about the nature of the universe. There are courses taught by experts from the Culinary Institute of America, Culinary? Do you say culinary or culinary? I say culinary, apparently. And the Smithsonian and the Mayo Clinic. One of the most popular courses is the Fundamentals of Photography, and it's taught by Joel Sartori, who is a longtime photographer for National Geographic magazine, which, of course, is famous for some of the most beautiful photography anywhere of our natural world. This is a 24-lecture course, and it's a trove of information about lighting and shutter speeds and framing and composition. It normally costs $235, but it's available for a limited time for free right now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash lexicon. So if you have a camera that's been sitting on a shelf, take it down, check out this course, and get motivated to shoot. It is free for Lexicon Valley listeners if you visit thegreatcoursesplus.com slash lexicon. Okay, so the phrase is to take something with a grain of salt. Yes. What have you discovered now, Ben, with your research? Okay, well, first we can talk about the earliest appearances of it in English. And how old would you think that this particular expression is? Sounds pretty Shakespearean to me. Mm, Shakespearean. I'm with Bob. I would go back to the late 1500s, early 1600s, which is when Shakespeare was writing. I could even go earlier. I could go to medieval times with this. Well, in the written record, you guys are right on target. It's something that developed in the late 16th, early 17th century, right in that Shakespearean era. That's correct. Now, if you look in the Oxford English Dictionary, currently the earliest citation given for With a Grain of Salt comes from 1647, Of course, we can't leave that well enough alone, and so I went hunting for earlier examples, and I was able to find an antedating going back 60 years before that, all the way back to 1567. And so you found some examples of this expression in what context? Well, the context that it kept turning up in were theological discussions that had to do with the Anglican Church, the Church of England. God, eh, take it with a grain of salt. Eh. (laughs) Well, (laughs) perhaps the Roman Catholic version of God, they were uh, suggesting, had to be greeted with a bit of skepticism. Although the Roman Catholic God was three grains of salt. No, it's one. No, it's three. No, it's one. It's both one and three grains of salt. So we've got the earliest example coming in 1567 from John Jewell, and he was a bishop. He was the Bishop of Salisbury. He wrote a series of tracts that defended the Church of England. So he wrote the Apology of the Church of England, and then there were various Catholic writers who responded to him, and he responded back in 1567 with a defense of the Apology of the Church of England. 
in that book, he's talking about some of the arguments that are presented that come from the church fathers, so the early scholars of Christianity. He's actually citing uh, one of these church fathers named Chrysostom, who was saying things like, Heaven taketh authority of judgment from the earth. In earth sitteth the judge. The Lord followeth the servant. So I guess these were arguments that were being used to support the idea that you could have this papal authority on earth that would override any other authority. Hmm. And so John Jewell says, These and such other the like extraordinary speeches may be comfortable to the afflicted mind, but as one said sometime, they must be received with a grain of salt, for otherwise of themselves they be unsavory. Ah. Mm. ah. <laughs> Evidence for my theory. Yeah, I mean, that, that's right in line with what Mike was saying. Excuse me, I just, um, I've got some errands I have to run in another <laughs> place and time. And Ben, you said that this author, John Jewell, was the Bishop of Salisbury. Is that the yes. Salisbury of Salisbury Stakes? He might have had an interest in salting things and savoriness, if, if that's the case. <laughs> um, that would be a bit of a leap, but sure, why not? Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's fascinating, that expression, a grain of salt, it keeps coming up over and over again through the early 17th century in very similar contexts, where it's an argument from the church fathers and the Anglicans of the day are saying, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Let's just step back from this. Let's not just accept this uh, with no limitation. Let's think about this more critically and more carefully. So they're cautioning not to use these statements by the church fathers as justifications for Catholicism, basically. Yeah, exactly. And so there, there's a bunch of these tracts. Another one from 1609, another Anglican bishop named Thomas Morton wrote a Catholic appeal for Protestants. Wait, Morton? Morton Salt? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Morton Salt, Salisbury Steak. When it rains, it pours. Hello, Mother. I'm trying to make noodles, and I don't know how much salt to use. A handful? Yes, Mother, it's Morton. When it rains, it pours. Morton Salt. Hello, Mother? It's been running Mother. in the family for three generations. Okay, I'm pretty sure this is not the Morton of Morton's salt, but he was a bishop, and he did write about salt. In uh, his 1609 work, um, he's talking about the sacraments. Uh, again, this is something that they were arguing over, you know, the uh, sacraments involving um, the consecrated bread and so forth and what it means. So he's talking about what's been said about the sacraments, and he says, therefore... We may instruct our apologists to read such like sacramental phrases of ancient fathers, at least cum grano salis, using the Latin cum grano salis, with a grain of reasonable salt of better discretion than hitherto they have done. Hmm. It sounds like he's kind of twisting the metaphor a little bit away from savoriness mm -hmm. and more towards this idea of skepticism. So I'm slow out of the gate, but I'm beginning to... Uh... <laughs> Make my move on the outside. <laughs> Here's another example from 1641 from uh, Richard Carpenter. The terms of divinity are to be taken into the mouth as the canonists speak, the canonists being the experts in canon law or church law. Cum grano salis, with a grain of salt, that is, wisely tasted and understood, otherwise they will not prove good nourishment. Now, it seems odd to me that they would be using a Latin phrase for what we would otherwise understand to be an English language expression. Is there any evidence that the ancient Romans used this phrase? Uh, yes, there is, or a phrase like it. 
So we have that Latin phrase, cum grano salis, literally with a grain of salt. Now, if you're going to try to find that in classical Latin, you'll find something almost like that in the work of Pliny the Elder. He wrote a very uh, famous work, what can be considered one of the first encyclopedias, Pliny's Natural History. He wrote this starting in 77 AD, and he was still working on it when he died two years later because of a little problem known as Vesuvius. Mm. He actually died in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, and he was almost done with this enormous encyclopedia that covered all ancient scholarship. Including salt, I suppose. Including salt and also walnuts. <laughs> in fact, the, <laughs> the key passage comes in the section where he's explaining all about walnuts. Wikipedia style, I suppose. Everything you would ever want to know about walnuts. Planipedia. Planipedia. There you go. So he warns that walnuts can be poisonous. Like if you eat their leaves, they give out a poison that penetrates to the brain. So watch out. But if you take the meat of the nut... Not so poisonous. And in fact, he says, taken in time, these nuts deaden the effects of poison. Wait, are you saying that I have, over the years, homeopathically made myself immune to the neurotoxicity of walnut leaves? Possibly. I'm not sure. So I could, in real life, play out that scene from Princess Bride. Where is the poison? The battle of wits has begun. It ends when you decide and we both drink and find out who is right and who is dead. Well, I just like the fact that I can check that one off of things I really don't have to worry about. Uh, walnut leaf poisoning. It's nice to know that I've, I'm fully vaccinated. <laughs> so he relates a story, a little story, about walnuts being used in an antidote for poison. This has to do with a famous king named Mithridates, who was defeated by the Roman general Pompey. So Pliny says that when the mighty king Mithridates had been overcome, Pompey found in a private notebook in his cabinet a prescription for an antidote written in the king's own handwriting. Two dried walnuts, two figs, and 20 leaves of rue were to be pounded together with the addition of, guess what? A grain, a grain of, of salt. salt. There you go. Okay, we will be back in just a moment. Lexicon Valley is also brought to you by Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron will deliver all the ingredients you need to create a home-cooked meal. One of the things I really appreciate about Blue Apron is their commitment to those of us, and let's face it, we're in the distinct minority, those of us who do not eat meat or even fish. I find it really frustrating when restaurants have very uninspired, very uncreative token non-meat options. That is not at all the case with Blue Apron, which offers, I believe, four fully vegetarian options each week, in addition to a couple of pescatarian dishes, like star anise and soy-glazed cod with gailan and brown rice. Gailan is the Cantonese name for what we often call Chinese broccoli, and it is delicious. Also on the menu this week, spiced turkey burgers, seared flank steaks, and adobo-style chicken. The variety is impressive, and all of the recipes are between 500 and 700 calories per portion. And right now, you can get your first two meals for free at blueapron.com lexicon. So give it a try. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, clearly... Clearly, the origin of this phrase has to do with making something more palatable. 
I think it's case closed. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's sounding that way. <laughs> and I, I don't even know how to react to this because it was with such not only certainty, but a kind of self-righteousness that I, I thought I was completely bringing Ben down, and I was doing so being very dismissive about his lexicographical chops, because of all people to not understand that he was misspeaking, Ben Zimmer, to make such a silly mistake. Yeah, you should be thankful, Bob, that I edited that portion out of the Wazik episode because you did not come across so well. Although I think of you as somebody who, with extreme certainty and self-righteousness, does just about everything, like orders a cup of coffee. Thank you very much. That's that's very <laughs> gracious of you to say, Mike. But, you know, it's interesting because we were talking about the preposition, right? And if my interpretation were to make sense... It should be something like as a grain of salt as opposed to with a grain of salt. But I never heard that because I had, you know, from the time I first heard the expression, thought it was about tininess. It just never registered that it was prepositionally incorrect, which kind of gets us back to this business of Wazik and Wazik. They all said Wazik, but we never heard it. And therefore, I blame this on human frailty in general, not my obtuseness in particular. I throw myself upon the mercy of the court. It's possible that you're having one of those moments here, Bob, where you wonder how you made it this long in life, hearing and using an expression so many times without ever really understanding the meat of the expression. Uh, Yeah, it's a misled moment, right? I mean, we have talked before about how until I was in my early 30s, I thought there were was the word misled, which I used in speech, talking about being misled. And it's, <laughs> synonym, it's synonym, which I read often and pronounced in my head as misled and just never dawned on me until <laughs> I was almost in middle age that there is no word misled. It is simply, oh my God, misled. I'm having yet another misled moment. And yes, Mike, as you correctly observe, I have lots of those. But it's not even clear exactly how we get from Pliny, talking about Pompey and Mithridates, to the current expression. There's, a, there's still a lot of kind of holes in the story. It's interesting that he's talking about this king, Mithridates, this sort of legendary king. One reason, by the way, that he was legendary is because he ruled over a kingdom that had 22 different languages in it, and he supposedly could speak all 22 languages fluently. So he was a, an amazing polyglot, as the legend tells it. But he was also famous because he was constantly worried about poison. His father had been poisoned. He was assassinated through poison. And so growing up, he just tried to find every way that he could to be immune from poison. So supposedly, he lived in the wilderness for seven years He spent all that time just building up an immunity to poison by taking little doses of poisonous things. And in fact, the story goes, after he was defeated by Pompey, he just wanted to kill himself. He tried to poison himself. He tried to poison himself (laughs) and couldn't. He couldn't do it. He could. This is how the story goes. And so he actually had to get one of his soldiers to run him through with a sword because he was unable to kill himself. 
that's a pretty good way for the story to end. I kind of would have preferred that he had, over the course of many years, made himself immune to all the world's poisons and then was walking down the street and was killed by a falling piano. I mean, that would have been <laughs> even better. But again, now, how do we get from Pliny talking about this, you know, poison antidote to the modern expression? And some etymologists have theorized that people looking back at Pliny and reading Pliny were reading this passage and saying, huh, maybe Pliny didn't really quite believe that this was a poison antidote. And so maybe by Pliny saying with a grain of salt, Mm. Pliny was really telling the reader, I'm a bit skeptical about this supposed antidote. You know, I think that might be just kind of a, a later imposition of meaning on Pliny yeah, I, mean, I don't think we have to go to that length to explain how this works. I, I totally agree. I would take that with a grain of salt. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I was talking to one of their descendants, uh, Pliny the much, much younger. <laughs> yeah. And he said, no, that's all bullshit, that his ancestor wasn't making any sly remarks about the efficacy of the universal poison antidote. <laughs> that, that's baloney. So this idiom comes down to us into English apparently from this Latin source. And it's really confounded people over the centuries exactly how we're supposed to understand it. So, for instance, I I checked an 1858 new dictionary of quotations from the Greek, Latin, and modern languages. It had cum grano salis in there, and it says that means take it with some allowance, with due allowance, allowing for inaccuracies intentionally or otherwise, literally with a grain of salt. But as the Latin word sal, which means salt, is used in a secondary sense to signify natural ability or wisdom, we may interpret cum grano salis with due discretion, with some little exercise of common sense. So that understanding is that the salt represents wisdom. Everyone is overcomplicating this. (laughs) It's so patently obvious and simple. Take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) It'll make it taste better. How about this one? This one actually sounds a bit more like what Bob was thinking. This is from an 1884 book by John Jackson Manley called Salt and Other Condiments. Okay, so this guy should really know his salt, right? Um, He says, to take anything cum grano salis is to use caution in accepting a statement or to take a liberal discount off it. The idea apparently being that as salt is sparingly used as a condiment, so truth is sparingly scattered in an exaggerated statement or report. Oh, please. Doesn't that sound Mm. a bit like what Bob was saying? Yes, but it's just (laughs) completely unnecessary as an explanation. Well, I like his thinking. (laughs) And let me just uh, give you one more quote. This is from a 1907 book called Dining and Its Amenities by John William Severin Gooley. He's giving various sort of salt expressions, and he says, we must not forget that proverbial grain of salt so appropriately used by the elder Pliny and now so often wrongly pluralized into many grains without improving in the least degree the original cum grano salis. So hmm. he had the same complaint that it's like, why, why are you bothering? In this case, he's talking about many grains or several grains of salt, which you know people were using to amplify the expression. And he's saying that doesn't improve the original idea of just taking something with a grain of salt. I'd like to say that validates my position, but nonetheless, Ben, I I do owe you an apology. I was all over you and uh, sanctimonious about it, and I'm sorry. Apology accepted. And I'm not going to get salty about it. Don't worry. All right. Let us know your interpretation of a grain of salt. Write to us at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. Follow us on Twitter, please, at Lexicon Valley, and subscribe to our feed in the iTunes store. 
You can read more about the expression with a grain of salt on Ben's Word Roots column on Vocabulary.com, where he is the executive editor. That's Ben Zimmer, Salt of the Earth. I also want to thank Steve Lichtai, the executive producer of Slate's podcast, and Andy Bowers, the chief content officer of Panoply. Steve, Salt Lichtai? Yes, the Salt Lick tie. All right, guys, we done here? We are done. Later, Gators. Yeah, I'm taking this with a grind of salt. A little lime and tequila as a tear drops fall. And I'm gonna sit here until I chase every memory all taking this Send the poets, vulnerable people, not invulnerable drones. That was poet Saul Williams with his radical suggestion for dealing with ISIS. I'm Jason Gotts, host of Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Each week we surprise smart people with topics they're not prepared to discuss. Salman Rushdie on astrophysics, Jesse Ventura on alien life forms. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Think again, it's deep fun.